Divine healing by faith. This is very simple. One of the things that we'd say, okay, we, you know, do we really need to cover this? Can there be divine healing by faith? Well, of, of course, and we're going to give you the basis for it. Uh, what we're trying to do during this DHT is we are purposely targeting the areas that the enemy has also targeted and tried to put other things in. So we, what we did is we went in and we are taking these things and then uh, bringing the truth to it so that you have something you can say, okay, I'm going to lock in on this. This is truth. And I choose to believe this and not that. Right? So that's one of the reasons why we go over some of these things that seem, uh, I don't want to say unnecessary, but it is, it is necessary that you have a well-established faith in truth. And that's what we're doing. Now, once we get that, that groundwork laid, we'll also show you how to actually minister. We'll take you through it step by step. That's part of the Saturday evening service. And you're doing that on a regular basis. You'll see it in here on Saturday night, but you're seeing it uh, during lunch and during the breaks. Uh, they're, they're taking you out and you're actually getting to minister there. So you'll see how it is in, uh, in function. But also there is a process that we want you to recognize and you'll start to see the pattern. Now here's one of the things. In the beginning, we will show you how to, how to do it. All right. We'll give you a, a basic method. Now, remember, the methods are not sacred. The message is sacred. So methods can change as long as they don't violate the principles of the message. Right? And especially now with new technology and things, it's getting very easy to uh, actually reach across the world. Actually, one of the questions that we have is, how is healing from a distance, even far away in another country, different from healing by the laying on of hands? There is literally no difference. None whatsoever other than you get to touch the person when they're in your presence. Uh, whenever I was, um, matter of fact, there is a letter in your manual that was written, actually a couple of them actually, that were written by John Lake. And in it, he was actually talking about one of these things where he talks about the real spirit of intercession that God, he says that God puts on you for the sick. When I first read that, and we'll read it to you a little bit later on as we get into some things, when I first read that years ago, after uh, Will and Gertrude had sent it to me, uh, there was, I had questions about it. I said, okay, what's, I, I get this, you know, I hear there's this spirit of intercession. And see, as a researcher, as a you know, military-minded person, I don't like gray areas, right? I, I like, you know, one, two, three, let's lock it down. I like very simple, direct, no questions, and so... Uh, as I started looking at that, I, I actually called Will and said, it's, he says in this letter that there is a spirit of intercession even for the sick that God can put on you. I said, what is that? I said, now describe that to me. What did Lake believe about that? And he said, oh, that's very simple. He said, because uh, their ministry, Will and Gertrude's ministry, was intercession. That's what they where they focused, mostly Gertrude. Will's, Will's ministry was Gertrude. Pretty much, his ministry was getting her around, getting her places, uh, you know, just taking care of her, and, and because everybody wanted to talk to her because she was John Lake's daughter, and so he recognized that he would kind of take the back seat to that. So, but he made sure that everything was good and everything was taken care of, and all those details. Well, and he was also a school teacher by by profession, so he was very systematic and very organized. And so he, whenever Gertrude would talk about her dad, he would ask pointed questions and get details. So 
I said all that to get to this point. Whenever you, and this was his answer about what Lake meant when he said intercession. He said, when he mentioned intercession, he was talking about when people are not in your presence. He said, when, when they are in your presence, you don't enter into intercession generally. He said, very rarely would that actually happen. He said, but when they're at a distance, because you're not with them, because you can't see them, and now that, this was before the internet, before you could Skype somebody or, you know, that kind of thing. He said, you had to be able to, because uh, whenever you weren't there, many times they would do what we've actually termed overkill because they don't know what's going on. So they would pray and maybe they'd be praying and the person is healed in five minutes. But because you're not in contact with that person, you don't know what's happening to them. So you are praying and commanding and you may do that for 45 minutes and you may walk around and you may command and you may go after this thing. And they were healed after, in five minutes after you started, but you don't necessarily know it. So you keep on going and that's the overkill part, right? And he said, but God can put that on you because what he means by that is this, and we have to be very careful. Reese Howell actually put out a book years ago called The Intercessor. And because of some experiences he had, he interpreted them a certain way. And because his book got pretty popular, people started grabbing a hold of what he experienced and started embracing it. And it was never meant to be embraced. Now, let me explain what we're talking about. You probably have heard people talk about uh, intercession. And they even use scripture to say, well, we are entering into their sufferings. And that means whenever we start praying and interceding for this person, we get into the spirit. And when we get into the spirit and start interceding, then their symptoms sometimes comes on us so that we can experience their suffering and we enter into it. And then when we finish praying, uh, we know we beat it whenever that those symptoms leave us. We know they've left them, right? Now, that was a very carnally-minded uh, interpretation of what went on, right? What actually happened, and it's not good, okay? First off, if it's not right for those symptoms to be on the person you're praying for, it's not right that they're on you, right? That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. So, but the enemy, knowing that, what happens is this. Uh, let me give you an example. I was in a situation one time where, uh, well, it was a profession at one point, where I was training uh, security for places, uh, clubs, nightclubs, that kind of stuff. It was uh, uh, basically I trained bouncers. And there was a situation because I was in a place and I'd been training and I was it was a night we were going to let these guys kind of actually do it. And so we were there, and a fight broke out, as was usual in this place. And when it broke out, everybody just stood around and watched. These guys we had trained just stood there and kind of like, you know, what do we do? Well, these guys are grabbing bottles and all the other kind of stuff, so something has to be done pretty quick, or somebody, innocent bystander, is going to get hurt. So I ran over, and as soon as I got over, the first thing I did was kick this guy, right? Got his attention, Right? And so whenever I got his attention, all of a sudden he left the guy he was fighting with and he came after me. Okay, that, and then we kind of got into it and then the other guys came in and then everything, it ended up okay. So, bottom line is this. That's what happens when you enter into intercession. It is not that God is letting you feel their sufferings. It is that you have entered into the fight and you have now got the attention of this thing that is attacking them. And now that attention has left that person. And now that thing is coming after you. 
right? So it's not you're entering into their sufferings. It is retaliation. You got that? So when that thing starts to retaliate to you, now you have to be aware of it. Now, most people, most Christians don't understand this, so they just embrace it and go, oh yeah, I'm entering into the sufferings. And the devil is having a heyday in your life, right? And we've seen that, and people get really hurt by it and different things. But what we have to realize is that this is a retaliation, and we have to set ourselves to know and believe. Now listen, in the kingdom, everything works by faith. Everything is by faith. How you got in is how you operate. And so by faith, and, and this is just a, a easy way to describe it, faith is like flipping on a switch. Right? This room in here was dark until somebody flipped on a switch and we had light. Right? So this room was in one state, and all it took was for one person to flip one switch, and that state changed. You agree? You understand what I'm saying? Right? It is exactly the same thing. You can be in a state of sickness. And the minute you flip on the switch of faith, you are now in a state of healing. Now, notice healing. Okay. I-N-G on the end. What does that mean? In the process of. Right. So the minute you flip on faith, you are in the process of healing. That's Mark 16. You begin to recover. Right. Doesn't always mean instantaneous change, right? There is a change in the state, and now you're moving toward wholeness. And, you, and sometimes it is on that, that progressive state. Now, that's not what we, what we want. We want instant, okay? If it's not instant on the street, it really doesn't help as a witness and as a sign. It needs to be instant, and you can get it instant, usually by pressing. But now let me, and these are notes you probably need to be making in, in your manual somewhere because they're not in your manual, actually. But it's one of the benefits of actually being here as opposed to just reading in the manual, right? I was at fire school. Dr. Michael Brown from Pensacola, I taught out there for uh, the, the uh, healing courses there. And I taught everybody, and then they went out, and they did it. It was great. They got good results. Everything was working. Then the next year, I wasn't teaching there, and they were teaching the same course, and they, the Brian Parkman, which is their healing uh, teacher there now, instructor there, is uh, trained under me, and so he's there teaching. And he called me one time. He said, Curry, I, I don't get it. Something's not not right. He said, uh, when we did this last year, everything worked, and it's going, and this for this year, for some reason, he said, we, we see a lot of progressive healing, but we're not seeing as many instant. And he said, what, what's going wrong? I said, well, run me through. What are you, what are you doing? Take a, a an actual scenario, an actual situation, run me through exactly what you did, and let me hear it. So he ran through this whole thing. And I said, all right, give me another one. And I had about two or three because I was trying to hear the similarity of what it was. And finally, uh, when I listened, I'm like, okay, here, here's what it is. I said, you're going out. I said, this isn't church. So you're not going to, you're not ministering healing in a church service where people automatically believe, where they're believing with you or anything else. I said, so this is a situation where you're taking the power of God to the streets and you are trying to deliver healing as a sign to unbelieving people. He said, yeah, exactly, that's, that's it. And I said, are you telling them that the kingdom of God is at hand? He said, well, no, actually. I said, yeah, I didn't think so because I didn't hear that. I said, that's one of the things that Jesus said. When you go, when he told his disciples, go out and talk to people and to minister to them, he said, when you go, heal the sick and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come near to you, Right? I said, so say that. I said, it's not about a formula. 
It's not an incantation or anything. I said, but you need to let them know, why are you doing this? You are showing them what it's like to live in the kingdom. In the kingdom, there is power, there is freedom, there is healing. That's the kingdom. And what they are experiencing is the kingdom of God coming near to them. I said, you need to basically proclaim the kingdom. He said, all right, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. So then as a week or two later, I got another call. He said, that was it. That, that solved it. He said, everything's right back up. It's instant. It's good. And I said, so that's one of the things that we always try to, to remember. When we're on the street, there is a difference between ministering in here and on the street. Now, I minister very similar, both here and the street. But very honestly, when people come here, they expect a certain thing. And we can, we can work around that. That's, that's not a problem. We can do that. But on the street, it's a totally different thing. Why? Because on the street, I don't expect, if, if you come to me here, I may not ask you if you're born again. I kind of assume you are, right? Especially if you come up, you know certain things, you say certain things. Uh, you know, there's all the Christian catchwords that everybody knows, the little buzzwords everybody knows, right? And so, but on the street, you don't get that. So on the street, you have to be more proactive, more aggressive toward the sickness, not toward the person but toward the sickness. And so many times you may have to tell them because you'll start praying or, you know, commanding or something. Uh, many times they'll expect certain things. Here, when people come here, they expect me to pray for them. Well, there is no prayer for healing, right? It's a command. You command the body to be healed. You command the sickness to go. You command the devil to go. Whatever it is you do, but it's all command. It's no prayer. You're not talking to God about it, right? God's opinion, his position is already settled his word is forever settled in heaven. That's it. So you're not talking to him about it, right? So whenever they come to you, but when people come to you and hear, many times they expect a prayer. So I will start by praying and I will pray to God. And I'll say, Father, I thank you that you have allowed me to take part in your victory over this sickness and disease. And I just thank you for it now. And I give you glory for it right now in the name of Jesus. Now, how many of you know that's the entire prayer right there? That's it. Now, now I turn to them, right? But what I do is I, I put two parts of this together. The prayer to God is one thing. The commanding is another. But if you kind of link them together, and as soon as you finish praying, you go right to commanding, the people still think you're praying. See? Because they expect prayer. And so, now, do I need to pray to the Father about it? No, not at all. I don't need to say anything. All I need to do is walk up and say, in Jesus' name, be healed. That's it. That's that's the sum total. I can touch them. I can take them by the hand. I can lay hands on their head. All of that is is it doesn't matter, right? The method in that sense doesn't matter. But because people expect a certain thing, I've actually had people get upset because when you bless God, I drove four hours to get here, you know, and all I did is walk by and go be healed. I, I didn't come here for that, you know. I, you know, it, it cost me two hundred dollars to get here. I expected two hundred dollar prayer. That's what I expect. You say. I'm serious. We, we get that kind of stuff, you know? And, and I try to explain to them, you don't understand. I can, listen, I can stand here all day and have you come up here. This isn't going to sound very spiritual, right? But I could take my, see that knuckle up right there? I could do that one. I could do that one. Which other one? But let's say I do that one, right? And you could come up here and I could stand here all day and just hit you. Just like that. In the same spot. I mean, you know, fairly quick, that's going to start hurting. Even if I'm not, if, if I'm just, just doing this. Right? I'm not standing back and bam and bam. I'm not doing that. I'm just that. Just constantly. If I keep doing that, it's going to hurt. Right? Eventually it's going to hurt. Or I could take that 50 times. Because if I do that 50 times, it's going to leave a bruise. Or I could take that 50 times and put it all into one hit. 
right? And if I put all that 50 hits into one hit and I hit with the strength of the 50 in one, it'll all be done that quick. And they're right. And I don't have to stand there all day going, boom, boom, boom. so I can just do it one time, one good hit and it's over. Okay. That's the way most people, most people want prayer. They think it's prayer, prayer. We got to, we got to bombard the gates of heaven. We got to bombard heaven with a prayer. I mean, if you're bombarding the gates of heaven, your guns are pointed in the wrong direction. <laughs> heaven is not your problem, right? You are to bombard the gates of hell. You hear that? And, and it doesn't take all day long to do it. The minute you say in the name, it's done. You got it? The minute you do that, those gates, they open. Why? Because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the ruling, governing council that Jesus birthed on this earth. Right? You have authority over all devils, over all sickness, and that authority, listen, this is not a standoff. Right? We win. It is that simple. And all you have to do is be convinced of the fact that you win. See, if you think you're going to stand there and go back and forth, you're going to go back and forth. Why? The devil knows in the end he's going to lose. But if he can postpone it, he will. Why? Because the longer he postpones it, the more likely you are to quit. So the key is to hit it good and strong one time, right? And just blast that thing and let the dust settle and say, okay, how's that? Right? Well, that's better. Okay, wait, better? Not, not gone, but better. Yeah, better. All right, let's hit it again. And you, you'll surprise people. Pray again? Well, yeah, it's better, but it's not gone, right? But the fact that we, that we made it better shows that we hit, shows that we had some, that we did something, right? So if we do that, let's just do it again. And let's just do it again until it's gone, right? And if we do it again until it's gone, people say, well, but if we do that, aren't we moving into unbelief? Uh, no, because the minute they say it's better, let me tell you, your belief just went up, right? You're not moving into unbelief. You're like, oh yeah. See, that's, that's the shark, uh, smelling the blood in the water. Right? You, you've already, you've already got it. You're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. See, I, I've, I've told you before, there was a particular person that had uh, issues in the body and we prayed and the thing, they said, oh yeah, it's gone there, but it's over here now. It moved. And I'm like, okay, has it moved? Has it ever moved before? No. All right, so obviously this isn't a coincidence that it just so happened that the minute we prayed, it moved and that, that, that the two weren't related. I said, the fact that we prayed and it moved, proved we hit it and that we can move it. And they're like, yeah, okay. I said, so let's pray again and just move it on the rest of the way out. I said, because it can't, if we can move it, we can move it out. And they're like, yeah. So we prayed again. And because a lot of people are trained that you only pray once. And, and honestly, a lot of people stay sick because of that. So we've learned if the healing rooms operated on a 30-day basis, then it only makes sense that we can minister over and over again. Why wait till tomorrow? Let's just hit it two or three times right now, right? And get it gone. And so after, and you have to remember, every time you say in the name of Jesus, the Bible says demons tremble every time they hear that name, right? So every time you pray, you're shaking them up again. And they're right. So just use that name. Now, you know, a lot more we can get into, but I want to get you into this. I'm going to, I'm going to get this chapter done. So, three uh, divine healing by faith. All right. So there's no dis no difference in ministering to people at a distance. Uh, the only difference would be in you. If you think it's harder, then you're, it's going to be harder. This is all faith. The minute you flip on that switch, it works, and it doesn't matter. Uh, th that's a good thing about the internet and Skype and all these kind of things that we can do now. Why? Because it gives us the understanding that I can speak here, and in a second or two, it's there. 
And if that's true in the natural, how much more true is it in the spirit where there is no distance, no difference, right? And that we can speak and they can be free wherever they are, right? So now three kinds of healing. You can get healed by your faith. You can get healed by somebody else's faith and you can get somebody else healed by your faith, right? Now, actually, the last two are kind of tied together because it has to do with somebody else. You can be healed by faith or authority, okay, which is they work. If you're going to operate in faith, you're going to operate in authority. Okay. If you don't operate in faith or in authority, you will really never operate in faith because the two operate together. <clears throat> you can be healed by a gift. And now here's the thing you have to remember. A gift is given. Fruit is grown. Right. So a gift can be right then. It can happen right then. And a, the fact that a person operates in a gift has nothing to do with their spiritual development. Right. The only book in the New Testament where Paul completely uh, talks about the gifts of the Spirit is in the book to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12. And that's the only book that the people are specifically told, you are carnal. So to the very to, to the most carnal church, he gave the most description of gifts of the Spirit and told them how to operate them, how to function in them, what was going on. And so the idea of, well, if it's, well what do we do in the church? We do just the opposite. See, we say, well, if I get spiritual enough, if I fast enough, if I pray enough, if I get spiritual enough, maybe God will give me a gift. And that's exactly the opposite. Listen, the more spiritual you are, the less gifts you need. Right? Why? Because the more carnal you are, the more God has to show up with a burst of power, one of his gifts of the Spirit that comes in, and a gift is to make up the area that you don't, maybe you're lacking some area, maybe you don't know something. And so you call on that gift and you, you put a demand on the gift. And when that gift operates, it's amazing because people look at it and go, wow, that guy has such a gift. And it's like, yeah, and that's all he's got. He has no character. He has no, no, no doctrinal accuracy. He has nothing, but he's got a gift. So don't listen to his teaching, but if you need help, get him to pray for you. All right. But as soon as he prays, after that, tell him to shut up and walk away. Put your fingers in your ears. Do it okay. Because, so, because gifts have nothing to do with maturity. Right. You, and the more carnal you are, the more you need a gift because God has to come in to meet that need because of your carnality. But as you grow up, you see, you have to recognize Jesus. There's no mention of Jesus ever uh, operating by a gift. Nothing in there says. And then a, a gift of the spirit or a gift of the word of knowledge or then Jesus ministered a gift. of. There's not in there. It says, oh, he perceived their thoughts. Well, yeah. Would we say, could that be classified under a gift? Yeah, but it wasn't. Why? Because with Jesus, he didn't operate by gifts. He operated in the fullness of the Spirit. In the fullness of the Spirit, all the gifts are there. Because if you're operating in the fullness of the Spirit, then the Spirit can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it through you, and he works with you in conjunction with you. That's the fullness. Now, that's why Anthony was telling you just a bit ago about the new man. The new man teaches you how to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, not just in gifts or just in power or just... Because we started realizing... Early on, God gave us the understanding of the DHT first. The DHT is for mainly for physical healing of the body, but the principles operate in every realm. Then, but now, then we have to realize that, so first he, he had us deal with the body. Then he said, well, I started asking God, why does this work? Why does it work so good? Why does it work this way? He said, well, to understand that, you got to go back to the new man. Look at who you are in Christ. It's, it is that outworking that makes it work. I'm like, well, that's good. Well, how do I get this new man to function in every area? 
He said, well, that's easy. You got to go back to Romans 12 and you have to have your mind renewed. Because, so you have, you're, you're made new in the spirit, but your mind needs to be renewed. When your mind's renewed, then you're transformed and what's in you is seen on the outside. And when that happens, now you've got all of this working. And when that's going on, healing is not a problem. So, and what, then I went back and looked at it because what I've given you is the keys to spirit, soul, and body. Right? Body for the DHT, spirit for the new man, and soul for the renewing the mind. So in that, in, in its fullness of those things, if you go into those and get it, now every area of your mind has to be renewed. But just like David, you can learn to say, well, God was with me with the bear. He was with me with the lion. So he'll be with me with this giant. Right? And you learn to put the two together. You say, well, you know, I, I prayed for that person. They had a headache and they got healed. And I prayed for this person and, and, and they had a, a knee problem and they got healed. So yeah, this cancer shouldn't be a problem. God healed those two. He was with me that. You see, you start, you use this David principle, right? And you put these things together and you start working them together. And so when you understand who you are in Christ it and you start to get your mind renewed, then it allows the flow of the life of God to flow out through you. See, everything you say out of, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So we know that. Well, so all this that's in you What's in your spirit is right, but the only way it can come out, the only way what's in your spirit can be related to people around you is that it has to go through your soul because your soul has to form the words, the ideas, put these things together, and it has to take things out of the spirit, make them logical, and then it has to actually tell your body, move your tongue in the right way to say these words. So there has to be a, a connection between spirit, soul, and body. And the problem is many people's soul, their mind has not been renewed, and so you've got this tainted idea. Usually it's tainted by religion or unbelief. And many times that's the same thing, but you, that it's been tainted. And then you got this purity that's in the spirit and the purity goes up into the soul. And then the soul is impure in the sense that it's tainted by wrong teaching and different things. And it's not able to actually come through and it gets all kind of messed up and it comes out in a weird way. Right. And that's why in the old Testament, I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but in the old Testament, uh, when prophets gave prophecy, they were told, you know, if you don't, if you don't get it right, we're going to kill you, basically. Why? Because all they had to do was say what they heard. There was no interpretation. There was nothing. It, it, it didn't work through their soul. God just spoke to them and they said exactly what they heard. In the New Testament, it doesn't work that way. In the New Testament, God goes through the spirit and then it comes through the soul. And when it comes through the soul, many times it can be tainted. So in the New Testament, we're told to judge prophecy to make sure whether it's accurate scripturally. Why? Because it can be tainted as it comes out. So we have to be able to, you know, take the, chew the meat and spit out the bones, as they say. And you listen to it. So when a person comes to me and says something like, uh, God's going to increase your anointing. He's going to do this and he's going to cause a double portion of coin. Then automatically I know that that person's mind has not been renewed in these areas and they don't understand it, but I can hear it and go, okay, so what's happening is we're moving into some new things. I'm going to be stepping further into some of the things that God has called me into, and I'm going to start seeing these things happen because there is no double portion in the New Testament. Right? That, that's no, You don't need a double portion. If you did, let me put it this way. The closest you get to a double portion in the New Testament is born again and filled with the Spirit. Right? That's the double portion if you want it. If you want to just go for the double portion, that would be it. Right? But very honestly, I don't need a double portion. I have the Lord as my portion. So I don't need a double 
I've got his. That's why people tell me, well, you know, you're going to, and they say this thing, well, uh, this, we're, we want to bring uh, uh, Reverend Curry up, now Reverend Blake up, uh, because he walks in, in John Lake's anointing. And I can tell right then they've never heard anything we said. You know, they never heard me teach anything uh, because I don't claim John Lake's anointing. Why? Because I would not want a man's anointing. Right? I don't need John Lake's. Even John Lake didn't have a John Lake anointing. You know? he had, you understand? He had the Spirit of God. So I don't need to go through John Lake to get it. You understand? I go, I have direct connection with Jesus himself. He is my portion. He is the anointing. He is the power. He works in me. So now if there are similarities, well, that's, there should be similarities between me and Lake. Why? Because I've studied him. Right? And whoever you study under, whoever you associate with, whoever disciples you, there will be similarities. But you're not getting a double portion of them. You understand? You're just around them. And you'll pick up mannerisms, you'll pick up, you'll pick up terminology and all that stuff. Has nothing to do with the power of God, has nothing to do with any of that. It's just what it is, is you're learning to put yourself in the same position of the person that you trained under. And if God used them, he'll use you, right? And you'll have certain ways of doing things. But, and that, the reason I said all that was to get to this point. What we're teaching you here works. We'll teach you exactly how to do it. And if you do it exactly, matter of fact, Saturday night, the healing service isn't, it's not the Curry Blake show. I'm not going to be doing it all, right? We will pray for people, but mainly it is to get you up and praying for people because we want to get you activated in here. I know you're going out and getting activated and that's great, but you'll get to practice it out there and in here. And we want you to follow a certain prescribed way of doing it. And if you do that, you will see people healed under your hands, right? If you just, if you just do nothing more than what exactly what we tell you to do, you'll see it work. Now, the beauty of that is you'll see it and you'll go, okay, because once you see that, the enemy can't stop you because you go, yeah, it worked. I know it's true. I know it works. And then you'll step out and then you'll come back around maybe a year later. And when you minister to people, there's going to be probably some differences. Why? Because you've had a year to grow in it. And instead of trying to do it like Curry does it or whoever else you work with, it'll be more your personality because you will have grown and you will have developed your own way of doing your own method but it will still follow the same basic principles. Why? Because God doesn't want you copying me, right? All that's for is to get you started, is to give you a direction. And then you work with him and he will come out of your personality. And he, you know, maybe because me, myself, I'm a fairly quiet person. You know, I don't like to scream and yell and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'd rather just, let's just talk and have peace and quiet and work together and that kind of thing. And then there's other people that are very aggressive. Now, if I need to get loud, I'll get loud. If it means, Getting somebody free, sometimes you need to do that. You say, why? Because you need to stir up what's in you, right? And sometimes you need to stir up that aggressiveness. And so to do that, it's good to get loud. Now, if maybe you're a loud person, maybe you're very boisterous, for you, getting out of yourself means quieting down. Let's, let's, let's say, so I don't have to do it this way. I can do it this way. And if you do that, then it, next time you come around, guess what? You'll do it loud. Why? Because that's you, right? And God will work through you and through your personality. He sanctifies your personality and changes you. But yet people are still going to go, oh, yeah, that's him. People that knew me 30 years ago, uh, there's certain basic characteristics of my personality that are the same. right? But they wouldn't know me now because my mind has been renewed. My thoughts are different. My speech is different. And, you know, they'd look at me and probably say, well, you know, you kind of remind me of somebody I used to know, but you're not him. And I'd say, you're right. You know, 
So that's the whole point is we're trying to give you a, a, a guideline. But it's not in a sense of, okay, I got to do it exactly like this. I got to say it exactly like this. I got to say these words. That's not what God's doing. He just want, he wants to live his life through you and he wants to impact people's lives. And sometimes it'll be drastically different from one person to the next. And that depends on how much you are willing to honestly take a chance and step out and do things different. If you only do it one way, you'll get stuck in that. And you know what? It may even work. You know, we've been talk, teaching on this re recently. If you went to a A. Allen meeting, uh, you were going to be jerked around. Why? Because that's the way he did things. Yeah. If you went to a Jack Coe meeting, you're going to be jerked around. I mean, it's just a, it was just their personality. But if you went to a William Branham meeting, you'd get healed. But it'd be because he's going to say, "Well, now this is this is you. This is this is your address. This is where you live. Uh, this is the disease. Your your doctor's name is this and this." And and he give you all these words of knowledge, and you get healed. Well, guess what? They all got healed. It didn't matter which meeting they went to, they got healed. So the method doesn't count. God just used different people, different personalities, different ways. And the problem is, whenever you go, if you went to a Jack Coe meeting expecting to get a word of knowledge, right? You can't go to a Jack Coe meeting and expect it to be like a William Branham meeting. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go there, and, and and Brother Curry, he's going to call me out. He's going to tell me my name. He's going to tell me where I'm from. No, it's not generally how I work. I'm not saying that never happened. It has. But that's not the way I generally work. Why? Because, number one, we try to demonstrate. Uh, if we if we work that way, usually when that happens, then whoever ministers that way, they get built up. In other words, they get pushed up. You know, people go, oh, you ought to see that. Man, he was so accurate, and everything's about him, right? Not about what God did, right? And so I don't generally minister that way. Now, if you if we get you in line, I start ministering to you, and I'll minister to your sickness, whatever it is, and if God shows me something, I may tell you, and that happens, right? But if it's just in a general meeting, I don't generally copy you back there. You know, this is your name. This is where you're from. Well, that would be good if I wanted to get puffed up, but the fact is, I don't generally operate like that. I operate strictly by, well, the other part about this is this. When you do that, a person will sit there and watch and go, wow, that's awesome. I can't do that. That, that is so cool. I wish I could do that, but I, that's not me. You know, I've never operated that way. And so they cut themselves out. But if I stand here and say, look, it's by authority. It's by dominion. You give a command and then we operate that way and we minister that way and you see it. You go, well, I can do that. I can, I can know, I can command. Right. And you can do it. And my whole everything about our ministry is trying to show people if I can do it, you can do it. Right. Why? Because God doesn't love me anymore than loves you. And he loves them enough that he will use any one of us to help them. And so but if I have to try to get you to operate in a, in a word of knowledge, then that's a whole different thing. Because now I've got to work with you individually as opposed to saying, guess what? All of you can give a command. All of you can speak to sickness and tell it to go. And if you'll get enough grit in you to not back down and keep pushing, then I could say, okay, for lunch, let's all just go out and do it. And instead of having to work individually, we have worked with all of you and you could all go out and do it. And it's a faster way of producing soldiers on the field, which is the heart of this ministry, right? It's not about trying to give you a word and trying to build up to, oh, you got to get to Brother Curry because he'll give you a word and man, it's right on. Like a, no, I'm not trying to get people to come to me. I'm trying to get people to realize you can do this and you really don't need me. Right? Why? Because you're connected to him. It's his life. It's not, you're not drawing from my anointing. You're connected. You are the branch connected to the vine. 
Amen? His life flows through you. That's what we're trying to do. Now, should we be connected? Absolutely. Should we work together? You bet. Why? Because together, organized, we can do more good for the kingdom than we can individually, everybody out doing their own thing. We can organize. We can uh, be able to contact you and let you know things in your area. People call us and say, I need prayer. Do you got somebody that can come? We'll say, well, let's, let's look and see. Oh, yeah, we got a DHT that lives about uh, 15 minutes from you. We'll give them a call and send them to you. That's why we work together. That's why we connect, so that we can actually get people to go there and actually lay hands on people and minister to them rather than just saying, yeah, send me your prayer request and I'll pray for it. That's okay, but people need to be connected. We need to make sure. I don't want to get, just get them healed. They need to be discipled. They need to hear truth. More than likely, they haven't heard the truth. And so we need to get it to them. And that's why we do what we do. Amen? Does that make sense to you? So, now, we're still on page 55. Okay? Now, notice the next part there. Who can have great faith? Well, Jesus only commended two people's faith as being great. Okay? Neither of whom were in covenant with God. Isn't that something? So if you're in covenant with God, it's too late. You can't have great faith. (laughs) But the good thing is you don't need great faith. All you need is faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. Amen? So, but now notice, and, and that's honestly why they had great faith. Why? Because they had no connection to God. The, the Roman centurion and the Syrophoenician woman is who we're talking about. Neither one of them were connected to God. So yeah, if you're, it's like the example I've given before. If uh, somebody walks in, maybe, you know, just anybody walks in off the street and they come to me and said, um, excuse me, I, you know, I, I, I need, I, I need a hundred dollars. Okay. Well, if I had it, I may give it, right? But if I don't know them, I'm going to say, well, okay, well, who are you? You know, oh, I'm just somebody walking off the street. Well, what do you need $100 for? Well, that's really none of your business. I just want $100. You know, I just want, I just need $100. Well, how many, how many of you think they're probably not going to get it? Right? But my son could come in and say, Dad, I need $100 real quick. I need $100. I say, well, what for? I'll, I'll talk to you about it later. I just need $100 real quick. Well, okay. How, how many of you know he's probably going to get it? Why? Why? We're connected. So it is through relationships. So it's the same thing. So if my son, now understand, it wouldn't take much faith at all for my son to come ask me for money or pretty much anything I got. It wouldn't take much faith. Why? Because he knows we're connected. We have a relationship. But for somebody else to walk up and and expect it, that, that would take some faith on their part. Right? So it's the same thing. Whenever you read about the Roman centurion and Syrophoenician woman and he talks about their great faith, why? Because they fully expected and yet had no reason to. They had no, no basis to expect anything. Right? And, and the amazing thing is, and this is another thing why Jesus pointed this out. Let's look at Matthew chapter 8. We'll, we'll just read it. Verse 5, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Stop right there. See, isn't it amazing in the church today how we feel like we have to try to convince God and we try to pull it and we try to, we gotta do this, we gotta fast, we gotta pray, we gotta go into this and we gotta do all these things to try to get God to heal. Here, this Roman centurion, not even connected, just walk, heard about this healer. And, and there were other healers in the land. There were other people known as prophets and different things. And he hears about him, walks up and goes, uh, Lord, I've got a servant lying at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And immediately Jesus says, I'll come heal him. He interrupted him. He said, how do you know that? Because the Romans in Germany said, no, 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 that's not what I was going to ask. You don't have to, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. 
but I'm a man under authority and I understand. And if I say to my servant, do this, he, he does it. And if I tell this guy to do that, he'll do it because I understand authority. I'm under authority. I understand authority. And I know that if you just speak the word, my servant will be healed. So he obviously interrupted him because Jesus said, I'll come heal him. And the centurion said, no, no, you don't have to do that. You just give the command. Why? Because I understand authority. I understand if I give a command, it'll work. And I understand you have authority. And if you give a command, my servant will be healed. See, if you understand authority, you understand faith. If you walk in faith, you're going to walk in authority. If It's just that way. And if you don't walk in authority, you won't walk in faith. Right? And so... Notice here, he stops him. And isn't it funny? Because then Jesus, he says, look at this. Uh, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this man, go. And he goes to another, come. And he comes to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed. Now notice, he's listening to this guy, and he got all of his disciples there. And he turned to, and he says, listen. Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Now, we could say he was talking about the land of Israel, but he hadn't been all over Israel, so we couldn't really say that. Israel was the people, right? And he said, I'm not seeing this in you guys. Here's this Roman centurion, this person doesn't even have a covenant with God, and he talks like this, and you guys, you're not talking like this. You know, matter of fact, what did he say? What did the people of Israel say? What did the ruler of the synagogue say? Lord, my daughter is dying. Come quickly. Come to my house. See, Israel said, come. The Roman said, you don't have to come. Just speak. He had greater faith than the people of Israel. A non-covenant person had greater faith than a covenant person. You see? Well, guess what? A non-covenant person needs greater faith than a covenant person, right? Now, they shouldn't have greater faith, but they would need it, you understand? We should have the greatest faith possible because we are in covenant with God. We have a heavenly Father. I mean, there's faith faith shouldn't even be a question. It shouldn't even come up. It's kind of like, of course. You know, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all I can think or ask. Oh, of course he can do these things. You know, is it, you know, it's not a matter, and this is really where the question comes in. Everybody says that God is God. Oh, yeah, if he's God, he can do it. So the question isn't, can he do it? The question is, will he do it? And the people that should know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God's will is and what his attitude is, if the the last thing we should question is his willingness, right? If we're going to question anything, question his power. If my children came to me and said, Dad, you know, I I don't think you have, you know, the money to help me, but I know if you did, I know you'd help me. But but I, I don't know if you have it or not, but... But, you know, I, I know if you could, you would. <clears throat> See, that would be one thing. But if they came to me and said, uh, Dad, we know you got the money, but I'm not sure you're gonna, you would help me out. I mean, you know, I just don't know if you love me enough. No, I, I don't know if you would help me. I know you got it. But I just don't know if you would let me have it. You see the difference? Now, if my, if my children came to me and talked to me that way, it's going to break my heart. Because I'd be saying, surely you know me well enough by now. That if I got it and you need it, it's yours. Surely you know that. So my willingness should never come into question. You know, maybe I don't actually have it, but if I did, you'd get it. See, I'd much rather them question my ability rather than questioning my willingness. Amen. And what do we do? We never question God's ability. 
We only question his willingness. See how wrong that is? We need to decide his willingness even trumps his ability. Amen? So, he says, <clears throat> when he said in uh, verse, yeah, verse 11, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said unto the centurion, Go your way. And as you have believed, so be it done unto you. And his servant was healed in the self-same hour. Then you go to page 56, you can see the same thing. This is the woman of Canaan. Verse 22, it's in Matthew 15, verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. So we've seen healing, now we're talking about a devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not right or meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs, or to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, Great is your faith. Be it unto you, even as you will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now, we'll talk more about this when we come back from break, but I want you to realize here, this woman had no covenant. She did have faith. She was told no, right? And yet, she didn't stop there and said, that's true, but I'm not leaving. Even the dogs get the crumbs. And I'm recognizing you can do this, and I'm getting it. And he said, woman, that's great faith. You got no right. You got, I've already told you no. And now understand, people say, well, see, if you told her no, baby, you can tell me no. Okay, first off, he said the children's bread. Are you his child? Yeah, then it's your bread, right? You're, you're not her, right? You're not trying to get something that isn't yours. You say, but aren't you telling us to go out and, and lay hands on the sick and heal the sick out there? And maybe they're not his. That's true. But he also told you to do it, and now you're representing him to bring them into the kingdom. So again, uh, we'll look at these as we go on, but you need to realize God's willingness is not the question. Right? His willingness is always yes. Right? All the promises of God in Christ are yes, and so be it. You got that? All of them. So we'll talk more about that. We come back off this break.